first 14 chapters of Tanya are one specific um, topic. And then after chapter 14, we go on to another topic. The first 14 chapters, the topic is basically giving us self-awareness. So explaining the anatomy of the soul, explaining the relationship between the soul and the body, explaining the, the internal um, structure and how it works, defining what is Klippa, what is Kedusha, and defining how the energies of the world interact with each other. So it's giving us a language to understand ourselves through and understand the world through. The thing that we want more than anything else is relationship and connection. It's what we're hardwired for. And when it says the reward of the mitzvah is a mitzvah, the ability to hold God in our hands is only here in the physical world because we have a body made of earth and water. And therefore, God can be contained through vessels of, of earth and water. And when you pick up something that you do a mitzvah with, pick up an esrog, Divine energy is inside of that esrog, so you're basically holding God and you're hugging God and there's an intimate relationship with God that you don't experience as a soul without a body. The reason why we came into the world was to transform the material matter of the world so that it can become a vessel that is able to hold divine energy. Okay. That it's able to hold divine energy without dissolving out of nothingness. So take, for example, electricity. Electricity at different voltages... So if electricity has a very, very high voltage, it needs a very specific vessel or something to contain it. Otherwise, it can be highly dangerous and can destroy the thing, can explode the thing if you don't have the right voltage with the right appliance to channel it through. And most of the time what happens is with electricity is that in the generator, electricity is so huge, it's so massive. And then you have to downgrade it through, what are they called? Transformers. They go through these machines that downgrade the electricity mm-hmm. and then downgrade the electricity and downgrade it so that it's safe for you to plug something in in your house, right? Now, the thing is, is that if we're defining God as all power, so if you think about electricity, electricity is just one form of power. It's an extremely powerful form of power. All life force, all information, all energy, everything that exists, all matter, this is all what God is. He's everything that exists because Enoid Malvada is so... He's all energy, life force, power, everything like that. But if we would just experience that, we would completely explode or implode. It was too much information and it's too much energy for us to be able to contain and, and maintain a relationship with God and with ourselves. So this is what we have, the concept of symptom that we've spoken about, the contractions where Hashem literally concealed through veil after veil after veil, the, like downgraded the electricity, so to speak, so that it can now be invested in a vessel. And what we've been doing in the process of every time you do a mitzvah, what you're actually doing is you are expanding the capacity for that vessel to be able to receive a higher voltage of electricity, a higher voltage of electricity. So we're slowly stretching the physical matter of the material world to the point where Mashiach comes and we'll be able to maintain our physical experience and the highest voltage of spirituality at the same time and not lose ourselves. Like what happened at Martin Tara, which was we experienced a very high voltage of electricity and our souls left our bodies. We weren't able to contain it. It wasn't we, our bodies were not at the point we hadn't gone through the process of years and years and generations and generations of doing the mitzvahs to refine the material matter of the bodies to be able to hold and contain that form of voltage. Just as a marshal we're talking here, obviously Hashem is much more than electricity. He created electricity, but this is a really good way for us to understand. Um, it's also a good way for us to understand because electricity, when it goes into something, it runs through that thing. If you put electricity into water, the current just absorbs through the whole water. It doesn't stay in one place like a fixed thing if you've ever got an electric shock your whole body jumps what that means is the electricity went through your whole body again this is important for us to understand about the soul it's not just a thing that just sits in one part of your body it is the life force energy that is keeping and making everything within you alive all of the time so your soul isn't just contained in one part like this is your soul and this is your body your cells are alive, but what is the thing that's keeping them alive? That is the God within you, that is the soul within you. So at this point in Tanya, what we're explaining is the position. I'm going to draw you a nice diagram. All right. So you know the age-old conversation in psychology. What comes first, the emotion and then the thought, or the thought and then the emotion? What comes first, the, the emotion? Cause, you that is, do you have an emotion and then you have a thought, or do you have a thought and then you have an emotion? You emotion. Emotion. Yeah. Yeah. You have an emotion. I was going to say, I think you have a thought. That's the emotion comes the emotion. Right. So it depends. Yeah. Right no? yeah. It depends if you're thinking or not. So, but so you think you're thinking or you're not. Actually, you don't put the emotion. Yeah. Well, you have the emotion. Okay. Like someone's going to say something to you. You don't think about what they said. You right away react. So the emotion re- is reacting upon the thought. But you didn't think. Yeah. You didn't think. So, you have time to yeah. Yeah. 
Right, so this is, this is an age-old question in psychology, and I've seen people arguing the case for both. And there's a very good case for both, right? Yeah. Which one comes first? Now, according to Chassidus, we actually solved the whole problem. Because what we're learning here is where are the two souls situated in the body, right? We're talking about the instinctive, animalistic drive of survival versus the logical thought process of understanding a, a, a concept about value and meaning and purpose and moral, a Torah concept in life and how that impacts us. Now, what we've learned is that the animal soul and the divine soul both mirror each other in the sense that they both have ten spheres, which means that the animal soul also has a logical thought process and the divine soul also has a full set of functional emotions. But the, the difference between them is where one begins and where, and where it travels to. So the animal soul begins in the heart or in the emotional center, and then it travels to the brain. So for example, you'll have a desire, I want that chocolate. Then that information will go to the brain to think, well, where can I get chocolate from? Do I need to, is the shops open now? How am I going to get it? That logical thought process only follows the instinctive desire. Whereas the divine soul starts off as a logical thought process, and then it becomes an emotion if we focus on an idea to the point where we give birth to an emotion. Now, when you really meditate or you think about something deeply, you have an emotional response to it, especially if it's something that's meaningful to you. A lot of times we learn information, just be nice and move on, but we don't spend time actually dwelling on it and thinking about it to the point where we actually feel connected to it. Sometimes we do. But that's basically how it works. The animal soul begins as an instinctive response in the body and then it becomes a logical thought process, whereas the divine soul expresses itself primarily or first in the prefrontal cortex part of the brain and then it starts to move into the person's emotional sphere or the way that they start to feel about things. And what I'm saying is that really this is the way that they communicate or show up in our life. For someone who is primarily experiencing life through the glasses of their animal soul consciousness, which is they're primarily living life through instinctive survival, reactivity, them for them are triggered and they have a response they're not really thinking they think, yeah. they're not thinking Maybe very much and if they are thinking it's usually based on an original trigger so for example they they feel annoyed by someone and then they're going to now start thinking about all the reasons why they have a right to be annoyed with that person so it begins with the feeling of i'm annoyed and then the thought logical thought process of trying to justify myself for my feelings and then it comes back to feeling more annoyance right and, and that continues and perpetuates itself Whereas the divine soul consciousness is, I learn something, inspires me, I think about it, I chew over, and then I start to feel an emotion based on that. I feel passionately towards something, or I want to do something, or I want, it moves me in a certain way emotionally. And then that makes me want to learn more, and the cycle continues around that way. And they're both going on at the same time. The truth is, is that we've got both, and the more that they communicate with each other, the more integrated they become, the less... They're in a power struggle. We're going to have more of a communicative, collaborative relationship internally. So basically, souls are not bound by time and space. So it wouldn't be true to say that the soul is this size or in this place. However, there are places that the soul is more revealed and expressed than others. The animal soul is revealed most in the left part of the heart that is filled with blood. The warmth of the blood is in nefesh, the aspect of the soul that is most linked to the body that we've spoken about. The warmth or the, the vapor of the blood is the most spiritual or physical things. It's actually the most tangible aspect of the soul that we can actually even see and have a sensual experience of. So when you're actually holding someone and you're feeling their warmth, you're feeling the most physical aspect of their spiritualness, <laughs> the warmth of a person. And as you know, when somebody passes away, they go very cold. That's the leaving of the soul. So the warmth in a person is, I'll say it again, the most physical aspect of the spiritual part of a human being is the warmth in their body and you can actually feel it you can actually have a tangible experience of feeling the warmth of another person's body when you give someone a hug or just even if you hold an animal you can feel the warmth in their body and that is basically feeling their soul so the animal soul is primarily expressed as emotions in the heart bodily responses to subconscious triggers the emotions then travel through the blood to the other parts of the body to act or to the brain, where the person begins to think about how to get what they desire or avoid what they're afraid of. In contrast, the divine soul is primarily revealed in the brain, behind the eyes, which is the place of the prefrontal cortex. And from there, it extends to the right ventricle of the heart and the other limbs, where one feels emotions in line with one's truth. All emotions that one has for Hashem. After reflecting and thinking deeply about Hashem's greatness, oneness and love for us, come from the divine soul 
which has traveled from the brain to the right part of the heart to be expressed there. There are also natural and, inst and instinctive emotions towards Hashem in, in one's heart, which are not born from contemplation, which we'll discuss later as we go along. So there are some instinctive emotions in the heart towards Hashem. We just feel love towards Hashem. It's not based on anything we've learned or anything we've seen. It's just this desire in the heart to connect to Hashem. A lot of people have that, just this feeling of, I want a connection, but not necessarily, like I said, based on anything I've learned or anything I know. Or any, it's just instinctive. We're going to learn much more about what that is and how that works as we go on. So we're not going to talk about it now, but it's just important to know that that also works. Sometimes the divine soul does work from bottom up as well. Sometimes it just stays there in the heart, but not connected from the head. So I feel an instinctive desire to connect to Hashem that I don't have a logical thought process for. It doesn't make sense it's to like me. A feeling of just wanting connection to something and not necessarily even knowing what it is, right? That was what we would say is an emotion. Or a love of Hashem, just feeling a love towards Hashem. That could be triggered from anything. It could be triggered from being gratitude. It could be triggered from seeing something beautiful in nature. It could be triggered from anything, but a love towards Hashem or a fear of Hashem. And any of those things can happen from not necessarily consciously thinking about something. You can have an emotion connected with Hashem. Just, so just I guess because. in another way as well, the animal soul could also start in the brain. Yeah. It could. It could. We're just talking about primary expressions so that we just have an understanding of where it begins. So what we're saying is that it's the primary place of expression. We're not saying it's the only place of expression. So mainly animal soul consciousness, the way it shows up in our life is instinctive gut reactions to things. But it doesn't have to be. It's just primarily. And the other way around, mainly the way divine soul consciousness shows up in our life is through learning Torah and then feeling inspired by something and having an emotion about it. Not always, sometimes the emotion comes first. But it's just showing us primarily where it shows up. So how do they both coexist in the same body if they're so different from each other? So we've spoken about this a little bit. We've spoken about the layers of a human being. You've got the divine soul. This is going to get confusing because now I'm drawing you a completely different picture. This picture that I've drawn is a circle within a circle within a circle within a circle. It's not, it's not spatially. Because spatially, like we said, souls are not defined by space and time. They are much bigger than anything. And they're, they're, they're spiritual things, so they're not defined by space and time. But basically, the way that it expresses in our being, the way that we show up in the world, so we don't show up as having a split personality. We don't show up in the world like two different people inside of one body, which is basically essentially what we are if we have two souls. And a soul is more than just a drive. A soul is not just an inclination towards something. Basically, the very foundations and core beliefs of the souls are different. The foundation of the animal soul consciousness is separateness consciousness like we've spoken about a lot that like everything is separate and it's possible for me to be just a fragment floating around in the universe with nothing holding me or nothing connecting me whereas divine soul consciousness is a unity consciousness everything is united and connected and I can't be separated or disconnected even if I try so their fundamental essence is different now the thing is is that the, the divine soul is at the core of our being what that means is that that is the most essential part of who we are a lot of times we have, like we were saying last week, sometimes one of the reasons why people get stuck in therapy or they can't heal is because they feel like they have imposter syndrome in the sense that I'm really a bad person and just sometimes I do good things. Really at my core I'm damaged, really at my core I'm bad, really at my core I'm a failure. But what we're learning here is that actually at our core we are just pure divine energy. We are a piece of Hashem. And again, it's not like a piece like you would take a piece of paper and rip it off because Hashem can't really fragment. Hashem is everything. It's one unified field. There's no parts of Hashem. But what it means is that like you would take the sun and shine it through many windows. You have a, a building which has a hundred windows on it. One sun shining through a hundred windows. Each of those windows you'll see a part of the sunlight. But it's one unified field. Right. The only difference in this marshal between that and Hashem is that in this marshal, the sun is over there and the windows are over here. With Hashem, we're all within the sun globe all of the time because nothing exists outside of Hashem. So basically, what we're saying is that the core of your being is Hashem himself. When we say, an absolute piece of Hashem. That is the core of who we all are. Now, surrounding that, you have the veil of the animal soul consciousness. This, the veil of separateness. It's basically the experience that we have when we all come into the world that we experience ourselves to be separate and then all of our fears and our survival instincts are based on that because we are afraid of disconnection from our parents from our friends and so therefore we try and do everything that we possibly can to fit in to get approval from other people to 
all of that stuff it all comes from animal self-consciousness. We start doing things instinctively. So this is like the glasses, like we're wearing sunglasses now. The separateness consciousness and everything is filtered through that. And then you have the body, which surrounds the animal soul. And the animal soul is the one that, that acts through, through the body primarily, unless you have divine self-consciousness. When, divine, when acting from divine self-consciousness is filtering through animal self-consciousness and then filtering through the body, and on the outside of the body, you've got conscious thought, speech, and action, which are the tools of expression of the body. Okay? So, again, we've spoken about the fact that if you do something, say something, or consciously think something that isn't in line with your truth, it doesn't define you. Again, a lot of times we define people by what they say and what they do. That isn't the case. Because actually see someone as a divine soul. We have to look through the layers of the body. We have to look through the layers of fear, of the animal soul consciousness. We have to look through the defense mechanisms and actually just basically recognize that if this person is doing whatever they're doing to defend themselves, it's only because... Of the, of the illusion of separateness consciousness, but the truth is, is who they are in pure essence and being of divine energy, and that if they weren't in a state of fear or instinctive survival, they wouldn't be acting in or saying, saying whatever they are saying. Now, what we're saying here is that they coexist in the same body, and the reason why we don't experience ourselves as two separate people is because most of the time we're hanging out in animal soul consciousness. Most people experience themselves and their conscious personalities to be the animal soul consciousness. And the divine soul consciousness is what we call an exile within us, only sometimes having expression through our thought, speech, and action. When we do have access, like when we are learning Torah, we are feeling inspired or we're davening or we're doing a mitzvah, whatever it is, the divine soul consciousness is able to express itself through, through the animal soul consciousness and then through the body. And sometimes it's only through part. So, for example, if I'm actually learning Torah or I'm learning something, the divine soul is shining through the intellectual aspects of my animal soul and then into the expression of conscious thought. If I'm doing a mitzvah act, so basically if I'm giving a penny to tzedakah, Actually, Sadoka is not a good, good example because Sadoka actually takes our whole bodies. Because when we work to make money, we put all our energy into it. So when we give Sadoka, we're actually trans- shining divine energy through our entire... Everything that we used to make that money, we're shining it through. But let's say, for example, Lulav and Esrog, it's just your hand. You're taking the Lulav, you're taking the Esrog, and you're doing a mitzvah. So the divine soul consciousness is shining through the animal soul consciousness, shining through the body in your hands only. Right? And every mitzvah, it's affecting that part of the body and again, stretching that vessel to be able to hold and maintain more, a more higher voltage and more intensity. Okay, so basically, that's why we don't feel schizophrenic. I mean, sometimes we do, but because it, if we're thinking, consciously thinking something, whether it's divine soul or animal soul consciousness, the divine soul has to shine through the animal soul. It's not like you have two people sitting inside of you. I mean, the truth is, is actually we have many parts of us that talk. We've spoken about this, like they fight with each other. I want to do this. No, don't do that. Right. But it's all animal soul consciousness, all the parts of the animal soul consciousness. Divine soul consciousness only expresses itself through the animal soul consciousness. And therefore, it all sounds the same to us. We don't hear the divine soul consciousness any differently than we would hear the animal soul consciousness, like the voices in our head. It's just a question of what is it saying? I feel like what you're saying is very deep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so much information. I'm still like trying to take in like the first few things that you said, and I love what you're saying. Yeah. But I feel like I've to listen to it a couple times. Maybe it would be helpful. I I mean, definitely for me, it would be helpful for you just just to remind us again. I know you've said it already, but the idea of what difference is between what the divine soul is saying and what the uh, yeah. So this idea of separateness consciousness. Yeah. Versus this kind of the unifying yeah. versus the fragmented, yeah. all of that kind of ideas, but also beyond just those ideas. Yeah. What is the, what is my? Because I think for me, I'm hearing my animal soul. Yeah. Very loudly. Yeah, we all do. Whereas my divine soul yeah. feels very quiet. I was going to yeah. say there's like yeah. it's like a so once a like year experience. Yeah. It, shouldn't it be more? Yeah. Right. So you're saying you can. You know, you could hear both equally. It just depends what they're saying. That you'd be able to say, "That's my this soul speaking. Yeah. That's this soul speaking." Right. But how can I go? Ah, that's the voice that's speaking right now. Do you know okay. What? Like yeah. that would be. I don't know. Most of our experience is animal soul consciousness. Mm. Animal soul consciousness is about any time I'm thinking, "What does she think of me?" Wanting to have control. Yes. Any survival instinct that we have, and all survival instincts are around. Con- 
trying to be in control. Anytime we're stressed, anytime we're afraid. Any fight or flight. Any fight or flight. Yeah, so basically that's it. Any fight or flight, any time that we're trying to control things, which is a fight and flight response. Mm-hmm. You just have to ask a little bit a little bit deeper. Sometimes what happens is we come up most of the time with subconscious fears of what does it mean about me if I go to sleep with a messy house? What does it mean about me? These are the questions we need to ask ourselves. As soon as I get to, yeah, it means I'm a failure as a mother or it means I'm a disorganized person. Or it means then I know it's animal soul thinking. Mm-hmm. That's how I know if it's animal soul thinking. If it, if, if it means something about me that's going to lead to shame, guilt, rejection, or he, th- those kind of things. That, that's basically how I break it down. If it's just because I, w- I want an authentic connection with Hashem, and this is what I feel is the way for me to do this, then you can say it's divine self-consciousness. If you just close your eyes every day for five minutes and imagine your body exuding light, imagine your whole body being filled with light and exuding light, or being filled with gold, shining. It's a very interesting exercise to do. But what happens is if you start experiencing yourself differently, a lot of times when we actually close our eyes and imagine what our body looks like, we experience emptiness or black. Yeah, you just do it now. Close your eyes for a second. Just notice what's in your body. And just notice what it feels like. Just the first image that, that comes to you. Just acknowledge it, whatever it might be, and then just imagine it filling up from your toes as if it's a hot bath, just filling up with light, and that light is just shining all the way up from your toes, up your legs, up your calves, very slowly. Notice if there's parts of your body where the light won't shine. Just watch it filling up, like as if the tap's on, and it's just filling up. Switched off. Yeah, okay, what happened? What did you experience? I switched off. Did you, when you first closed your eyes, did you, or did you experience black? I switched off straight away. Straight away, okay. And then I tried to tune in. Yeah. And I felt it filling up, and then I was telling myself, fill up, fill up, fill up. Yeah, and you couldn't. And it switched off. Yeah. Okay, that's a defense mechanism. Switch up. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So when we start noticing any defense mechanism, any form of protection internally, this is all animal soul consciousness. Animal soul consciousness is devoted to keeping us safe. The problem is, though, what is it keeping us safe from? Yeah. It's perceived separateness. But we're not separate in the first place. We drew this picture, we drew this picture in a past class of, of the, the consciousness of God is over here and I'm over here. Hashem is over there in the sky or whatever and I'm over here. And I have to do whatever I need to do in order to please Hashem or get Hashem's attention if I need some help, you know. But the truth of the reality is, is this. We exist within Hashem. So I can't actually get out even if I tried. And I don't have to work extremely hard and put so much effort into catching Hashem's attention because he's right here. Within me. With me. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So this is a massive shift. Everything that exists is Hashem channeling himself through many different material vessels and nothing exists outside of Hashem. And we say, But then we believe that lots of the whole world exists and Hashem's overlooking the world mm. but then if you have that perspective that separateness consciousness and that means you can be lost you can be separated you can be bad you can be a failure you can be excommunicated you can be invisible you can be a failure I mean you can be all those things all of a sudden and then it's the fear of that because our deepest fear is a disconnection from our source or disconnection from from ourselves or disconnection from other people around us and then because we fear it, we do everything we possibly can to make sure the connection is maintained, which means all of our limiting beliefs about you have to dress a certain way, and you have to do a certain thing, and you have to act a certain way, and you have to look a certain thing, and you have to have this, all that stuff, social stuff that drives us, and then all our relationship stuff. And if this person walks past me and doesn't say hello, that means I have to make up all reasons in my head. Oh, obviously, that they're a ridiculous person, or, or that means I'm a horrible person at one or the other. That's the power struggle. One is right, one is wrong. There has to be good, has to be a bad... And I get so stuck in that cycle and then I have to defend myself and say I don't care because actually I do care very much. And this is all animal soul consciousness. This whole dynamic. Whereas the actual fact, the person walking past you was? First of all, the person walking past you is a divine soul that is just as expansive and beautiful as you are. Mm -hmm. Also trapped in an animal soul consciousness, filled with fear, just like you are. Right, living in a world of perceived separateness just like you are, struggling with pain and stuff just like you are. And when you look at them with compassion and say, well, obviously if they walk past me, it could be that they're feeling stressed or their own survival instincts. I don't know, whatever stories are going on in their head, which are different than my head, 
but that doesn't have any bearing on actually who I am in reality and who they are in reality. A person can say or act in a way that is extremely dysfunctional, but it's not who they are, right? This is it, it, their actions and their speeches here. This is who they are. This is who you are. This is the essence of all things. This is you inside of God. You can't get out even if you try. Neither can they. Neither can anyone. And when we get into the stuff... actions do affect right. who we are. So, our choices. Yeah. We are held accountable. For we are held accountable for our actions. And our actions, conscious thought and speech does have an impact on us. But in the same way that our clothing does. Yeah. When you wear nice clothing, you feel good about yourself. And if you wear scrubs and if you're a surgeon, so you feel like you're a surgeon. If you wear a policeman's uniform, you feel like you're a policeman. If you wear clothing that's torn and tattered, you don't feel very good about yourself. So basically, on, on the one hand, our clothing expresses who, what we want to express in the world. It also makes us feel a certain way when we dress a certain way, but it also doesn't define us. It's a very external aspect of who we are. We are absolutely 100% fully accountable for every single one of our actions. And we spoke about this in a past class, about living in a world of duality, but keeping our mind and our heart open in a state of unity. Living in a world of duality means my actions, in the realm of action, is right and wrong, wrong action. But holding the tension of opposites, that in the world of my perception in my mind and my heart to know that everything is all part of God and therefore everything is just an opportunity for growth. So I can ask myself the question, if someone has done wrong action towards me, what's my opportunity of growth here? Maybe I need to learn how to hold boundaries. Instead of getting stuck and blaming this person is bad, to recognize actually everything is a unified field, God is orchestrating everything absolutely, giving me opportunities to grow. So this person might be a boundary teacher. This person's come into my life to push my boundaries, give me an opportunity to practice holding my boundaries rather than seeing them as a terrible person and discharging all my responsibility and blaming them, right? So this is basically unity consciousness sees the world like that, like there's this absolute synchronicity amongst everything. And at the same time, being fully accountable for my actions. So when we do that, we bridge the gap between the material of the most material and the most spiritual of spiritual. We literally bridge the gap between the spiritual and the physical worlds because we have our feet grounded in reality and we have our hearts and our minds open to unity consciousness. And then we create this bridge. So this is an amazing thing. But sometimes we get stuck in our minds and our hearts in the duality consciousness, which means if I did something wrong, it means I'm bad. And if you did something wrong, it means you're bad. My question is, when something... Um bad happens to us yeah. from another person so that's an opportunity for me to grow yeah. instead of being defensive but that's an opportunity for me to grow yeah so the question is how do I grow from it right you start by getting curious what happened inside of me what got triggered it could be an opportunity I got rejected so to ask myself the question why what made me feel rejection here what actually happened where did my brain go to? And to start to unravel it. Gabor Mate, an expert in the field of, of trauma mm -hmm. and addiction, he always says there's a wisdom to trauma. When we un start to unravel our stories, we actually get in touch with and we can start experiencing our essence. And then we know it. So basically, when you start unraveling this, oh, I felt rejected. Why did I feel rejected? What was the story I tell? What was I telling myself? Mm -hmm. If they don't like what I've just done, what does that mean about me? Oh, that means that I'm not, I'm not worthy of love and belonging or I'm not... I don't know, whatever it means, each person has. Mm -hmm. And then to ask ourselves the question, well, is that true? Like, is it true that I actually am not worthy of love and belonging? And the more a person starts to question that deeper and they, they start to actually have access to this part of themselves where they experience my being and my essence is just love. I am a divine being of energy, of power, of information. I may feel afraid and have a survival instinct and a body and the way I express myself in the world, but none of that defines me. This is what defines me. And I actually start to experience this is what defines me. Like within myself, I yeah. do feel worthy and right. all the positive yes. things. But like the minute I go out there, it's gone. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's often what happens. Then someone will come along and trigger us. So you go into a social situation. Yeah something happens that you experience rejection. So the question is to ask yourself, why, why do I feel rejected by whatever happened? What does it mean about me if she doesn't like me or doesn't like what I did or doesn't like what I said? That's the question to ask. What was the reason why you felt rejection? Why did I feel rejected? I don't actually know. I think it's right. just a thing in my head. Yeah. So it's something that's really subconscious coming from the, the animal soul consciousness. Yeah. And we've got to get curious that the, the conscious brain thinks it's in control, 
the subconscious brain doesn't think, but it's in control. And the Baal Shem Tov taught that from very early in our childhood, we experience things in our lives and we don't have the tools to process it. So it becomes very subconscious with these beliefs, become very subconscious. As soon as you become aware of those beliefs, they start to lose their grip on you. So when you feel rejection, it's an opportunity to get curious. This, the way to unlock and to start to hear the voices of your subconscious is through curiosity, presence and honesty. So ask myself the question, well, if I'm feeling rejection, what am I afraid of? Like, what am I feeling? Really curious and open. Right. And, and just listen yeah. to the inner voices and, you, and they'll, you'll hear them from your subconscious and just get curious. Whatever it says, say, oh, I wonder why that's so scary for you. Sometimes you'll have a memory of a childhood experience of something happening. And you're like, oh my gosh, from that? Like, or sometimes it's just the other stuff. The more aware we become, the more it loses grip on us and the more we can start to reprogram and get to the bottom of what the subconscious fear is and access the deeper truth behind it. Is that really who I am? No. I'm so much more than this. And then when you access it, what you've done is you've now created holes. You've poked holes in this wall. Now the divine soul consciousness can now filter into the animal soul consciousness. You start to create communication between the two. You start to be able to have more access to what it's saying. Because until then, if you don't know what's going on in your subconscious, it absolutely controls your whole survival instinct and animal soul consciousness. So basically, that's how we start to unravel the process and then getting in touch with the core of our being is the prize at the end. The reason why we push to go there, we're pushed to go through experiences of rejection, humiliation and shame almost to get to the point where we recognize why was I feeling shame? Who am I even? Shame is the experience that I'm a nothing and I'm a no one and I'm invisible, so is that true? And, and then when I, at a little deep voice inside of me says, no, it's not true. You're so much more than that then I know it. Instead of someone, if someone tells you you're an amazing person, if you don't know it from the inside, it goes over your head. But when you hear it from the inside, then you don't need anyone to tell it to you. You just know it. And that's the difference. So we, we're going to a place where we know it from the inside so that we don't have to re rely on other people's external validation that even doesn't help so much. It might help in the moment, but then we need more, and then we need more, and then we need more. Do you know, yeah. Hashem actually never made anything... Um not perfect. Whatever he made is perfect. So how can we not be perfect? I think this thought came to my mind once and it just stayed with me and whatever, I made mistakes, I can be, maybe my reaction is not right, but I'm still perfect because yeah. I understand my reaction, I know I did something wrong, I can correct it. Yeah. But I know Hashem loves me just because I am. Yes. Mm. He made yeah. me perfect. Right. So right. how can I be angry at myself? How can right. I hate myself? How can I say that I'm not worse? Right. It means I don't believe that he makes something perfect. That's a very profound thought to integrate. When you have a thought like that and it just drops, not only from yeah. your head, but into your whole being, yeah. it shifts everything. This is called dasing something, when you really get something. You just feel uh, bad. Yeah. He gave me life. How can I say something that he did something not right with me? I've got choices, obviously, bad or good, but that's yeah. my, it's me. Yeah. But whatever he, he made, yeah. it's perfect. Just because you exist, you're yeah. already perfect. You can't be ashamed of yourself. But it just shows how thick that layer is for people who don't feel that. Yeah, it's very thick. You integrated a piece of information from this moment of insight, but many people, for example, you'll tell them this is what you, the insight you had, and they'll just say, it will go over their head. Like information, you could tell someone, I love you, and if they don't feel loved, or you could tell them, you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, and they'll say, <laughs> right, because it's not an experience that they have internally. And so when a person's not having that experience internally, this layer, you could say that animal subconsciousness, there maybe is a lot of trauma there. So they have a lot of fear of letting go of that. They have a lot of fear of, of letting down their defenses and getting curious. It could be very, very thick. Everyone has different personality, animal souls. Also, our childhood traumas and the way that we were raised has a lot to do with the development of our animal soul consciousness. And basically, this layer, just outside of the divine soul consciousness, is, is what gets in the way of us experiencing these insights, these wonderful insights where we experience the essence of who we are in such a perfect way. And sometimes it's a gift when a person has a moment of insight where they just experience it. And sometimes people can actually get to that insight by inner work, by actually meditating on an idea like what you said and thinking about it to the point where they actually start feeling it. And that would be an, a case of divine soul consciousness filtering down into the heart. Right, and sometimes it just comes into the heart as I just know it from my from my heart. To get to there, you said there was curiosity, honesty, and what? Presence. 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 Curiosity, honesty, and presence.
Yeah. So the next time I feel like that, rejected. Yeah, to notice what a really good place to notice when your body do you feel the rejection. Yeah. Usually it's here or in your stomach or whatever, yeah. different. And just imagine a little person in your head is getting curious and saying, oh, wow, look at that feeling. Like, I don't know, it's here, it's like tense, it's whatever. What is that? Just get curious. Imagine you're having a conversation with it. Okay. What is it? Do that. What are you afraid of? What? Yeah. And have a whole conversation with it, backwards, forwards. <laughs> um, sometimes it says stuff that really surprises us if you're open to hearing it. Sometimes we think, if you think that what it says has to make logical sense, you're not going to hear anything it's saying. Because our subconscious does not make logical sense. Right. And when we allow it to express itself, we can often put holes in it and say, really, is that true? Give me something that proves it's true. Give me something that disproves it's true. That's when you've uprooted the, the limiting belief because you've poked holes in it enough that it's not, what's the word? It's not an absolute anymore. It's just not an absolute anymore. A lot of these subconscious beliefs are black and white thinking. I'm either a good person or I'm a bad person or I'm, I'm imperfect or I'm perfect or I'm, I'm a success or a failure, whatever it is. It's very black and white, the subconscious thinking. And then we start realizing that actually there's just a lot more to life than that. Another way of poking holes in it is... When you hear the voice, for example, rejection, let's say a person feels rejection and you, you go to the rejection and say, what are, you, what, what are you feeling? What does it mean about you if someone says the X, Y, and Z or whatever it is and that voice says, it means I'm a failure, let's say. Okay, so then you say the word failure 30 times really fast. Failure, 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 sounds like a bit funny. And then you say to that voice, so is this how you want to define yourself? Something happens in the subconscious and it's like, no. It's a funny thing, but it is actually a really powerful so technique. Nice. You're just, you're just dissolving it. Dissolving you're making it, it nonsense. Like you're, you're, it you're dissolving. To find it. Fighting it would, fighting it would be like, no, you're not a failure. You're human. And then it would say, yes, I am a failure. And then he would say, no, I'm not a failure. And then it wouldn't get anywhere. Right, so you're fashioning it down. You, you're, you're, you're humoring it. Like you're, you're not making it. it a conversation because when you make a conversation, you have to talk to the other person. But here you're not talking to it. You're just saying the word over and over again. I like to use the language poking holes in it because it, it seems a lot of times these limiting beliefs of the subconscious feels like such a strong wall. It's so absolute. And there's so much fear about facing it. And then when you just move, walk into it and you waltz into it and you just like breathe, what happens is often we find it's a castle built of cards. And we're like, oh, is this really true? And then it just kind of starts to crumble. It feels like it's a hammer. Like what? failure, 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 failure. And then I guess it just it depends on what tone of voice you yeah. use. <laughs> you can sing a song and that's your own. Failure, 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 failure. Yeah, failure. so that's <laughs> exactly what they're doing. So, will say, for example, you know, sing it in the happy birthday. You just sing it yeah. as a song or you sing it in silly, you know, yeah. I don't know, Snoopy Dogg's voice or whatever. Yeah. Like, the whole point is that you're, you... you're humoring it. Yeah. Mm. You're humoring it to the point where it's, because when it says you're a failure, it's like a really harsh, strong, terrible thing you're a terrible person you're absolute failure that's the impression that there's so much fear behind it we're so afraid of being a failure because we're so afraid that means we're not worthy of connection or whatever it is so it, it's this very rigid tight thing and as soon as you humor it it just relaxes and i'm still standing i'm still here is this me any humor regulates the nervous system to the point where you can hear the voices as well so you're not really defined by it there's so many techniques but this is just some of them, and we've in past classes, we've spoken about many more techniques. We've spoken about this a lot. So you'll get more of an idea if you go back and listen. So there's one thing that he says here, which is very interesting. Everything in the world is a structure, has got two sides that pull opposite each other. So every up is a down, every right has a left. Every night has a day, every cold is a hot. We live in a world of polar opposites and we're somehow always trying to be in the center balance because that's where we feel comfortable in the center. But there's this, always this tension of opposites regardless. The emotions are like that as well. So in, in Chinese medicine, you would say that like the yin and the yang pulling in opposite directions. In chasidus, we say chesed and gavura. So chesed is an expanded desire-based emotion, like I want something. And then gavura is a fear-based emotion. I don't want something. It's fear. And then teferis is the center where it's holding tension of opposites and balancing the two. Now, the side of chesed is water. The side of gavura is fire. And one of the things that he says here is that the chaotic emotion of chesed, which would be the water-based emotion. So a desire for anything that is soothing and pleasurable, but also taking me away from myself at the same time. So we spoke about how everything in the world can either be used 
to help us express connection with Hashem or block us more. So to hold up our limiting beliefs, to hold up our survival instinct and keep us more disconnected from ourselves or to allow us to express ourselves and our connection with Hashem in the world. So for example, beautiful clothing. You can either wear clothing to support the animal soul in believing that you are really a nothing and only depends on the clothing you wear. So you have to always wear a certain type of clothing that everyone should like you. So you're, you're maintaining that limiting belief that you're not enough as you are just by the clothing that you wear. Or you can have beautiful clothing just to help you feel more relaxed and calm to you to express the true essence and the confidence of who you are in the world. So most of the things in the world are this neutral energy, which we call Kripa it's a It's a shell that can either express who we are, or it can be like a straitjacket, like it's something that, that keeps us more stuck. So all forms of addiction coming from animal soul consciousness are those things that keep us more stuck because they just make us escape from ourselves in the sense that like I'm feeling uncomfortable and so I just want to distract myself versus feeling uncomfortable, let me just figure out what's going on and undo layers and really use this as an opportunity to grow and get to know myself better. So basically what he's saying is that the element of water inside of the animal soul can just lead us to distractions. But on a divine soul perspective, you can actually transform all addictions by using the water element inside of the brain, by learning information to the point where it gives you pleasure. Learning information that really inspires us is a very pleasurable experience. When you get something to a point where it really fills you with a deep sense of satisfaction and a deep sense of soothing because there's clarity, you now understand something, it makes sense. So what he says is that one of the ways to counterbalance the chaotic emotional desire to distract oneself from one's life is by learning information that is deeply pleasurable for you to learn. Everyone has a different part of Torah that speaks to them. But this is what he's saying is one of the techniques to use is to actually recognize that it's because it's the same element in the body. So if you want to transform one element, if you want to transform the water element from a chaotic state to an ordered state, Use, use the, the water element of the brain, which is the organ of water, to bring you to a state of internal clarity and peace and self-soothing, rather than moving towards whatever the addiction is. But just to summarize, the Kedusha of water is when one derives pleasure from intellectual understanding of Hashem in the brain, which is the organ of water. When one experiences pleasure from understanding something that they value, they create an emotional connection with the topic, and this transforms the animal soul's element of water along with its nature to Kedusha. So you're actually starting to transform the animal soul as well through that process. And then he goes on to say one more thing at the end of this chapter is that even though the animal soul and the divine soul are created equal and opposite, the animal soul itself, or the survival instinct of the person, does not even want to keep a person blocked. Because it knows it's working for Hashem, it knows Hashem's true desires that we see through its lures. And a person, on the other hand, is not conscious of the fact at all. And then it gives a parable in the, in the Zoya of a king who hires a prostitute to seduce the prince in order to test his son's moral strength. Now, the prostitute does her job very well because she's a servant of the king. Though in her heart, she's hoping that the prince will not be seduced and she wants him to show his strength and overcome his challenges. So on the one hand, the survival instinct of this part of us, the animal soul consciousness, in and of itself, it is not bound by the clipper. It sees right through the shell. It sees right through and it knows it's here to give us an opportunity to push against something. It's like our weights in the world. But at the same time, it knows it's working for God. It's rooting for us. It's saying to you, you're, you're a failure. Don't listen to me. It's not saying that to us, but it's hoping. I hope she doesn't listen. I hope she doesn't listen. So even whilst those parts of us are there as an opportunity for growth and to dig, they know who they're working for and they are all working for God. So basically, again, there isn't anything outside of God. It's literally just been given permission to push against us so that we have the opportunity to unravel our layers and get in touch with the depth of who we are. If we never got hungry or thirsty or... Or, or lonely or bored, we would never get from the couch. What pushes us to do anything in life? It's our internal angst or it's our needs that drive us. And if you don't meet a need, what happens is, is you feel pain. So we're driven by the desire not to feel pain. That's basically just in order to get us to move. If we didn't have that, we would just be very comfortable to not do anything. So it's basically our, it's our um, personal trainer. And it's rooting for us to succeed. We don't know that. We actually take it really seriously. We buy into it and think it's actually serious. And that's where 
where our issues come from because we buy into the separateness consciousness. But just to recognize and acknowledge that is also very helpful just to know that in the back of your mind. Any questions before we um, wrap up? Let's see if we can integrate can a little bit. Just summarize that yeah. whole lesson in like one minute. Okay, <laughs> one minute. Let me summarize. Okay, yeah. so we spoke about quite a few different things. We spoke about the separateness consciousness, experiencing God as I'm over here and God is over there. This is the animal soul way of perceiving the world. Divine soul knows and experiences the world as we all exist it's within God. For me. Yeah, you want to take the picture home with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a yeah. it's a great picture. So we all exist within God. Yeah. Now, our internal anatomy is that we have different layers. We, the core of our being... The essence of who we are is divine soul consciousness. It's God. But then we have layers around covering that, like veils, basically just covering over, covering over. The first and closest thing that covers over our divine soul consciousness is our survival instinct and all of the subconscious beliefs that are part of the survival instinct. And that's where we usually hang out. Our conscious thoughts and, and the way that we experience the world is usually through those glasses. It takes work to uncover it, to start to experience our divine soul consciousness. But most of the time we hang around here unless we learn and we do the work to get to this divine soul consciousness, which is, like we said, through curiosity, through presence, through honesty, through dialoguing with God through this, talking to Hashem. A lot of people have fears around that. If I tell Hashem I'm feeling angry towards him, you know, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, something terrible is going to happen to me. But actually Hashem is big enough. And he already knows what we're feeling, so he's big enough to hold that. God is way beyond human. So honesty is really important. And presence, and becoming really aware of what I'm experiencing now. I'm getting curious about it. What is this? Where does it come from? What am I afraid of? These kind of questions. Then after that, we have our body and the way that we consciously think and speak. So again, recognizing the, the way that I show up in the world and what people see is really external to the truth of who I am. Though I'm still held fully accountable for it. Even though I'm still held fully accountable for it. I can maintain the unity consciousness in my mind and my heart. I have to make sure I'm doing right action. And if I make a mistake, my opportunity of growth is accountability, is showing up and apologizing or making amends or whatever it is. It doesn't mean I'm a terrible person because I made a mistake. It doesn't mean I am a mistake because I made a mistake. It just means, okay, I made a mistake. So now what is my next opportunity for growth right now? So everything is an opportunity for growth in the unity consciousness. Whereas in the separateness consciousness, it means, well... If I made a mistake, it means I am a mistake and I should just bury my head in the sand because I'm a terrible human being and I should just hide now for a while until people forget <laughs> what I did or said and then I can move on with my life. Another point that we said is that the way that the divine soul and animal soul consciousness show up in our life is that usually we're experiencing animal soul consciousness most of the time as instinctive reactions to things around us and then we think about how we want to deal with them in our head. Because divine soul consciousness starts with actually learning information. The more Torah that we learn, the more we feed it, and the more it becomes a thought process in our mind, and then the more we start to feel emotions about it. And it goes around like that. Sometimes, though, we do experience emotions towards God from our heart, but in order to keep them going and to feed them, we have to fuel it with insight and inspiration and learning Torah. Learning Torah specifically as in fully understanding and integrating information that is relevant to me. There's so many parts of Torah that we learn, but sometimes we learn it just as a, a disconnected story or just like an idea, but it doesn't, if it doesn't fully integrate, if I haven't understood it in a way that's relevant to me, so it doesn't inspire me in the same way. It doesn't, it doesn't shift my inner experience of myself. And this is what he said is so important for transforming the instinctive desires of the heart to distract and, and, and self-soothe is by learning information that gives us clarity and soothes our mind and gives us inspiration. That helps us to cope with the instinctive desire to self-soothe. So the more information that we learn and the more we start to experience pleasure from learning, the, the less we feel that we'll feel the instinct to, to distract ourselves and escape for, through other and The biggest means. thing I used to think was Tyra was like Barisha's Noyach, like that right. thing. I didn't realise Tyra is emotional work. Mm. I think that's like the biggest... Right, sure. right. A lot of times we just learn. I mean, obviously, there's the, there's the five books of the Torah, and then you have the Tanakh, and then you have Gemara, yeah. and you have Shulchan Aruch, and so this is a very central part of Torah. But the thing about Torah is that Torah has many, many, many layers to it. And if you start with the basic explanation of the Torah, and then you have Rashi, and then you have all the Mefarshim, and then you have all the Midrashim, and then you have 
all of the different commentaries from all of the different Siddiquim over the ages that explain things in different ways. And then you have all the Hasidic masters who, again, took the Torah and every single word or sentence in the Torah to shine it through the lens of Hasidus, which basically means how is this relevant to me, to my life right now. It's not a story that happened thousands of years ago. This is a current story that's happening in my life. Every single mitzvah, every single halacha is really just giving me spiritual information about my psyche and my emotions and how I show up in the world. This is the beauty of Hasidus and all of the Maimarim and the Sichas from all of the, the Rebbeim from, from the Baal Shem Tov down. They take every line of davening and every parsha and pull it apart and shine it through the light of relevance to my life today. One of the just classical teachings of Hasidus, for example, is just think about Pesach. And we're coming up to Pesach and we think Pesach is all about looking for chomets, finding chomets. You know, it's all about the physical work of cleaning your house and all this stuff. But Hasidus teaches us that chomets basically just means any, any form of ego. And ego we define as untruth, any exaggerations or minimizations of myself. Internally, Pesach is about searching for my own chomets as an emotional experience. Where am I lying to myself in my life? And Pesach is an opportunity to go free because Mitzrayim in Hebrew comes from the word Meitzah, which means constraint and limitation. So basically everything in my life, where are my limiting beliefs? Where am I lying to myself? Where am I going to now be having a redemption from the traps of my limiting beliefs? by acknowledging them, by searching for the Chomas. We are enabling ourselves to have an emotional, psychological experience of freedom in our own hearts and in our own minds. That's what the essence of Pesach is, according to Hasidus. So when you have that dimension, so now you're looking for Chomas in your house, it's just the physical action of actually emotional work, and it, and it becomes more of a a process that has meaning to it rather than just, I have to keep my house, it's so annoying. From an animal soul perspective, it can be extremely hectic and crazy, and to just take a moment to recognize, well, what am I actually doing here, spiritually speaking? What is this experience for me? What am I doing? And the more a person does that, the more meaning and the more present and the more connected they are to the experience of Yiddishkeit. So I'm not just doing a mitzvah because I'm afraid I'm going to be punished if I don't. I actually understand the meaning behind it. And it's deeply meaningful to me as a human being. And I experience it as an emotional process more than just an external action. So that's really what the whole concept of Hasidus is about, becoming a panimi, becoming someone who has an inner process going on, to open up our hearts, to be able to experience the world through the open-hearted lens. Yeah, I, I love this quote. I'm just going to end by reading it to you. What do you think that my grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, expected from Hasidim and Hasidus? He wanted to do away with the state of affairs described in the Zohar. Hearts are stopped up, eyes are closed, people see and not know what they see. He brought it about that Hasidus should accomplish the opposite. Hearts that are open and eyes that are open and know what they see. So this is the whole point of learning this, is to really be able to deeply connect with what we're doing and also experience, really know what we see when we're looking at reality, rather than just the superficial chaos of it all. That's really beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome.